Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. One of the holy grails of the food business is a product that is healthy and fast. The ideal product combines our appetite for snacks and fast food with our realization of just how bad some snacks and fast food are. Attempts at making healthy junk food include Coke Zero, Naked Pizza, and even the so-called healthy options at McDonald's. Most of these have not been wildly successful. It's pretty easy to see why. People who want to eat healthy don't even think about eating this kind of food, and people that like this kind of food don't want the taste of it to be compromised. Uh, rather than trying to make a product that is slightly healthier than bad for you, an alternative approach to the healthy snack conundrum is to start from scratch with a whole new product. And that's the thinking behind a company called Super Eats. Super Eats makes super healthy snack food like high protein nacho chips and kale chips. They call their foods snacks with a purpose. The co-founder of Super Eats is New Orleanian Aaron Galemore. Aaron, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me, Pete. A surprisingly large number of people in Louisiana don't have the luxury of choosing between a healthy or a unhealthy snack. Over 200,000 of our neighbors rely on Second Harvest Food Bank to get enough food to merely sustain themselves. With distribution centers in New Orleans and Lafayette, Second Harvest provides over 22 million meals a year to individuals and families in need. It's a massive operation with a lot of moving parts that include the government, private business, food drives, and more. The food sourcing specialist at Second Harvest is Megan Neismer-Harrington. Now, Megan, we met you back in 2013 when you founded the New Orleans Fruit Tree Project. Great to see you again, and welcome back to Out to Lunch. Thanks so much for having me again. <laughs> now, Aaron, there's a huge difference between a good idea and a good business. Uh, healthy snacks is, without a doubt, a very good idea. Turning it into a good business depends on a number of things, but I would imagine the two basic elements are taste and price. So two questions to start with. One, how do you make a tasty snack without sugar, fat, and whatever else that we have apparently come to define as tasty? And two, can you make it for a price that competes with Doritos? Yeah, it was, uh, th that's something we kind of, we worked through uh, from the start and realized it was gonna be um, a process and figuring that all out. And it took us about a year from when we first came up with the idea, like you said, to come up with, uh, with a, at the time, what was a healthy, uh, a kale chip that was actually a tortilla chip, okay? So um, it really took a lot of focus groups, a lot of iterations, jumping into uh, you know, commercial kitchens. At the time, we were in New York, um, and we would go into the commercial kitchens and you know, change up the recipe a little bit, go meet with uh, friends and family and strangers. Were they the taste testers? They were the taste testers, <laughs> um, and we went through a lot of bad variations. Um, and did but this you got it now? We got it now, yeah. This was, this was th four years yeah. ago when we did this. Um, and uh, like I said, yeah, I went through a lot of iterations and really had to, you know, even when we would come to a great formula and people love the taste, 
we would go back and say, okay, well, this is, you know, the product's going to be $8 on the shelf and we can't charge that. So we'd have to add, uh, you know, some, bring in, bring in the formula here and add a different ingredient that was still healthy, but maybe, you know, wasn't kale in that instance. So now where would I find this? So would I find it at a grocery store? Would it, would it be, because I'm always having trouble with this, would it be in the health food area or the chips area? So it depends on the store, really. Um, you know, and we're sold in Rouse's here, for example, in New Orleans. And at Rouse's, depending on the store even, it could be in an end cap, which is right at the end of the aisle, um, or it could just be in like the gluten-free section, for example. Now, Megan, there are so many nonprofits that people can donate their time and money to because they all seem to contribute some element of good. It can be hard for an average person who might be good-hearted but not especially well-informed on just just how to know who to support. Now, many of us are familiar with Second Harvest Food Drives, where we can donate canned food and other non-perishables, but there is so much more going on at Second Harvest than just gathering up donated cans of food a, a couple of times a year. Providing 22 million meals a year is a massive operation. Let's try to break it down into pieces, if you'll pardon the expression, into bite-sized <laughs> pieces. Uh, <laughs> let's start with you. As a food sourcing specialist, what do you do all day? I mostly, mostly work with the food industry, and that's the behind the scenes donations that, that a lot of people don't realize. So food drives uh, at schools and churches, that's generally what folks think about. Um, we actually act as a giant distribution center. So we work with retailers, manufacturers, processors, wholesale distributors, work with anyone and anyone that would have food available. Well, give me an example of how that works. There's a retailer and you knock on their door and ask what? The, one <laughs> of the beauties of uh, being a food bank and being as large as we are is that we are actually part of a, a national organization called Feeding America. Uh, there's 200 food banks that are part of this organization. And so the folks at the top of Feeding America work with corporate level of Walmart, Winn-Dixie's, uh, Associated Grocers. They're working with their top level people uh, in establishing the relationships and the corporate partnerships that actually spread across our whole network. So instead of having to walk into every single retailer and saying, this is who we are and what we do, we can walk in and there's already a corporate culture there of donations. And so everyone has the same playbook, everyone knows the rules, and we're able to tap into that. And it makes for very efficient partnerships and a lot of donations. And I read uh, in your bio that part of the, the food actually comes from a, a kind of USDA uh, yes. How does that part work? USDA is the federal government, Department of Agriculture. It coordinates the distribution of this food. So each food bank is allotted a certain amount of money. We're able to pick the products that fit our cultural needs. So they're, instead of trying to think of something we wouldn't choose, but we want rice, we want beans, we want items that the people we serve are comfortable with cooking. And so we're able to purchase those items. Uh, I use purchase uh, because we are allotted funding we're able to uh, purchase those foods by the truckload. Uh, so we usually receive uh, anywhere from 50 to 100 truckloads of food from the USDA every year. All that product comes in in boxes and bags and as a mix of anything and everything. So we actually take that product, we have big conveyor belts and all the volunteers stand around and they pretty much box like with like. So canned proteins go in one section, canned vegetables go in another, uh, any kind of personal hygiene items are in another box. And then our agencies are able to look at that list and knowing their population that they're serving and the items that they have, they can say, I need three cases of canned protein and need certain kind of items. So all that food drive product actually gets put into uh, very specific case counted items. I hear all the food coming in. How does it get distributed out? That's the part I don't know. So we work with a 
network of partner agencies. So this is residential facilities, uh, soup kitchens, food pantries, schools. Uh, we have mobile pantries, uh, especially when we have product we need to get out very quickly, things that are close coated or pro produce. We actually have these beautiful beverage trucks that we can put product on and bring it to an underserved area that maybe won't, doesn't have a brick and mortar facility. And we're able to distribute food out very quickly. So everything and anything that enters our warehouse is actually goes on a type of shopping list that all of our partner agencies can see. And they can almost do grocery shopping from this giant inventory list and they can pick the items that they need, uh, the quantities that they need. We've got oh our right. Lafayette warehouse and our New Orleans warehouse both serving the same function. So, um, you know, bigger organizations, New Orleans Mission, you know, it serves hundreds of people every day, but also brick and mortar places that maybe are only serving a smaller population of a certain demographic. And you know, and I, it's a business, right? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a big it's a food bank industry and uh, a lot of people when they hear food bank they think it is that small brick and mortar soup kitchen setup so a lot of folks are like oh when you go to work you're you know making sandwiches and I wish I was just making <laughs> <Yeah>. sandwiches <laughs> uh, we have a hundred thousand square foot facility in New Orleans we have a fleet of trucks box trucks semi tractor trailers uh, it's a it's a huge operation <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron I've got to do people really like healthy snacks? Yeah, I think, well, I think they want to like them, and that's what we realized, <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> All right. so, so part of that, that space that we were trying to play in as a, as a brand of healthy snacks was, okay, we, at the time, for example, there was uh, dehydrated kale chips, and it was the kind that came in a plastic box, and uh, it, was, it was just dried kale, uh, essentially. And it seemed like a great product, but it, there were a lot of problems. It was really expensive, and it would kind of crumble to the bottom of the packaging. And then I think some, you know, beyond the niche customers, it, they kind of had a problem with taste. And that's what we saw. And we said, okay, well, can we make this just a little bit different so that it's a little bit more like the chips that people are eating now, the like junk food. Like, you get food. the cool stuff. You get jalapeno and nacho. I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. So we kind of, that's what we try to do. We make it a little bit more familiar because people do want to eat healthier. It's just, it's just not that easy. And it's getting uh, easier, and, and we try to be a part of that. And, that, and that's kind of where, you know, that's why we make a nacho, a vegan protein chip, because not people are used to nacho. You can make nacho healthy, um, but they're used to it, and they remember... You know, they're Doritos. They love Doritos growing up, that, that nacho flavor. And so that's why we, that's why we chose that flavor. For Where example. is all this made? So we have uh, two facilities. Um, one is in Tennessee, Kingsport, Tennessee, and then one in uh, Liberty, New York. Ah. And it, those are for different products, product lines, basically. And are you knocking on doors at grocery stores? Is that what your role yeah, is? Yeah, we do. We do plenty of that, especially the larger retailers. We will bug the heck out of uh, the buyers at different <laughs> stores and call them on a daily uh, basis sometimes when we know they're reviewing snacks, for example, and just keep calling and, and begging and, and sending new emails <laughs> and different <laughs> different sales data and or consumer feedback and... Um, so yeah, we're because shelf space it. is a tough. Uh, it's, it's really limited, tough. Uh, it's yeah. very much dominated by you know Frito Lay has their big section right. in every store, and it's and then you have to fight with the with the little guys you know to right. get to get the space elsewhere. Um, so that's the struggle. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are Aaron Galemore, co-founder of Super Eats, and Megan Neismer Harrington, 
food sourcing specialist from Second Harvester Food Bank. Megan, Aaron, this is the part of the show we like to call your brother-in-law. You're just deciding that you've got to quit work for the day and get something healthy for dinner. When your phone rings, it's your brother-in-law. Usually he only calls when he's going to Vegas and needs to borrow your luggage. But this time, <laughs> the conversation is a little different. Uh, Aaron, your brother-in-law has a great idea for a new product line. Uh, nobody likes snacks better than people who are high on pot. And, <laughs> and pot is totally legal in states like Colorado and Washington State, and it's spreading across the country. Your brother-in-law says this is the time to get into snacks with a pot theme for people with the munchies. <laughs> he even has a great name for the new snack line, Doritos. It's, <laughs> it's such a great idea here. Your brother-in-law is prepared to quit his job at the vape shop and head up the new Doritos division of Super Eats. What do you say? Are you in? <laughs> well, I, I can't lie and say I haven't. This hasn't crossed my mind before <laughs> at one point. Um, but, uh, well, the first thing I would say is probably to start very small in the sense that let's just go out, grab a group of our friends, and give them this stuff. And yeah. let's see, I let's can almost listen to this, them. this focus group. Yes, now, just, just listen to them and watch them um, and record everything and try to get as much feedback out of that as possible and see if anybody actually likes it. Sounds Sounds great in Colorado. I'm sure, you know, on, uh, on paper, you should yeah. say, it might sound great, but let's just start in a room, grab a bunch of people, and, you know, and get together and, and get some feedback on it and go from there. I don't, you know, that's, that would be my first my that first. That is a very, yeah. that's a real business person's <laughs> approach to this. That is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of faith in this. Now, now, now Megan, your brother-in-law has a great idea for food distribution. His thinking is, if you have money, you get to go to a restaurant. If you don't have money, you have to eat at home. Eating out is more than just eating, though. It's socializing. It's fun. Why shouldn't financially disadvantaged people have some of that? Your brother-in-law's idea is, what about opening a subsidized restaurant? You can only get in if you don't have money. He's prepared to quit his job at Burger King to look at the feasibility of it. If you can finance them for, say, a couple of months, what do you say? Is you're interested? <laughs> I think those exist. I think that's called a soup kitchen. <laughs> I think <laughs> that is where our research went down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Already exists. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's lots of those. Well, uh, okay, we're thinking more with booths and ferns. But, okay. um, yeah, oh, but like I think a nice dining yeah, but I, A nicer dining experience. You brought up a good experience. point, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I, I would I definitely get behind that. I think there's something very very special about going out to eat and if you don't have the income to do it you know uh you know maybe have a, a sister restaurant you have a nicer yeah. restaurant like where we are right now and on your bill you can leave your tip and then you can buy a meal for a friend and oh, that you've would even figured out the economics oh yeah yeah that <laughs> is right. and, uh, and then the sister restaurant you know knowing out there someone is enjoying a nice lovely meal on you is is a pretty good feeling God, your answers were awesome, both of you. They, uh, <laughs> you know, we just make these up in the car. This is really terrific. They, uh, do you have any of these uh, Doritos? Uh, let's yeah. see. I, uh, what kind I, of I'm unable to say at this point, <laughs> but it's a. Uh, they, uh, it's uh, You know, though, I, I've got to ask. Uh, when people are deciding where to where to give money, Megan, one of the things they're looking for is uh, I don't even know if this would be the right term, but leverage. Like, how far will a dollar go? You mentioned that uh, $1 will buy three meals for, for somebody. Uh, that seems outrageous. How is that true? It's, it's our purchasing power, because we are so large. Uh, a lot of the funding we receive 
we are able to we are able to purchase product uh, wholesale from distributors. Um, we're also able to tap into uh, donations uh, from larger corporations across the country. We have a system we call the Choice System. It's actually a daily online auction where truckloads of product go up for bid. No way. Uh, there's a type of Bitcoin. We actually it's not Bitcoin, right. but it's like Bitcoin uh, that we're able to use for our shares. I can bid on truckloads. I can bring in product from Mississippi, I can bring it from Tennessee, makes it available. So, and the cost of that is freight. So I can, you know, for $1,700 of freight, I can get 40,000 pounds of food. That's that's a steal, so. So you, you bid on it, and if you get that product, you, now it's your job to go get it. I get, well, I work with some really great uh, transportation companies, which I never thought I would do, you know, making bids on truckloads of, of food. But yet once, uh, once you win the bid, you get the product here, and then it goes out the door. That's a visual of Megan that I like, <laughs> the idea that you're on a trading floor saying, <laughs> 300 for beets, I got it, you got it. This is going to be terrific. They, no, there's nothing um, quite like winning a truckload of beets, too. It feels really well, good. I'm curious, because um, generally, and this is the, the sad part of it, I imagine healthy food is typically more ex on the expensive side, so how do you manage um, making sure that the people who are benefiting from this are getting the kind of the whole, the whole nutritional profile and, <coughs> and, and value of, of this food, yeah. One of the, the really positive changes we're seeing in the last, I'd say, two years or so is produce is taking such an, a front and center role mm -hmm. in food bank distribution. And it's kind of in line with what's going on with the uh, agricultural um, waste right. conversation at yep. the same time. And so there's a lot of different actors in place right now that are working to get that excess product out of the fields and make it available just the same way Campbell's sure. or White Wave or Kraft would for their products. Mm -hmm. So in the same regard of I can you know, win a truckload of rice, I can also bid on cabbage and apples and things like that. So that's huge, it's a big right. change we're seeing. Right. Yeah. Cool. And Aaron, I've got to ask you, I, I went to college and then I went to an investment training program like yourself, uh -huh. but I don't know, in those in that background, I knew I never learned about food science. Where did you pick that <laughs> up? <laughs> you know, that was uh, just in my the limited free time I had. <laughs> it, that's what it took. It really it was just me being really interested in it, and um, you know, doing as much reading, uh, cooking, um, everything that I could to just catch up to where <laughs> to where I would have been had I actually studied studied this as a background or had a position in. You know, at a, at a food company. And now, where it. did you do? Uh, was this in your um, your sink at home, or did you go you to know, commercial? You know, it started off in my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, I had a, my roommate at the time was not my co-founder, so my co-founder Charlie would come over, mm. and uh, we would just cook, and we would sit there and you know make chips right in our tiny little kitchen in New York. And your roommate um, said, "God, it's Aaron and the kale again." Yep. <laughs> I just got me. <laughs> no, it's exactly. We'd have this blender, and we'd be putting in all sorts of chia and kale, and yeah, he was. Uh, he was entertained. And uh, do you still have um, ideas in oh your yeah. head? Oh that yeah, that's the that's our f uh, you know my favorite part is is uh, just creating and coming up with uh, you know you see it every day and I think I would I'm sure we've all come up with those ideas like oh man I wish this food existed um, and uh, that's the best part is just uh, thinking <laughs> through the next the next thing and and how it's gonna help people. You do, know. do you always like yourself what ends up being a great product? Um, uh, not necessarily. I would say right now our our you know our new products. Um, for example, my favorite is our, a line of puffs. We have these uh, vegan protein puffs that we just came out with, 
and uh, they're by far my favorite, and, and I think they're going to be our, our best line. But it's not always the case. Yeah. No. It's um, not what Aaron loves. Right. It's what the house loves. Although we, we started it that way. The two of us kind of, <laughs> it, truthfully, we made it for ourselves and then realized there, was, there were going to be know many more like us who are gonna like that. How, so. how do you keep up on the trends? I've already you, oh, you yeah. mentioned the kale trend and then adding protein yeah. to chips. That's something I'm seeing a lot now too is the, the protein mm -hmm. is how do you stay ahead of that? Well, truthfully it's really difficult and the and you know kale um, has I, I would say it saw its its peak a couple of years ago. Yep. And so what we realized is we want to make these foods that are generally healthy for you and maybe are giving you macronutrients like protein which is not going away you know you're always going to need protein and that's it's going to make up a lot of your body <laughs> no matter what <laughs> so you're going to need that so that's kind of where we shifted it towards instead of to your point um looking at trends that might last a year um we're trying to to shift it towards just something that's going to be fundamentally there and when we say that New Orleans is known for its food, mostly we're not referring to kale chips and food drives, but as we've discovered today in a city best known for fried food, there's a healthy health food business. And the city known for excess, we have a large number of people going hungry. Megan, Aaron, it's been informative and extraordinarily interesting to learn what you are both up to. Thank you so much for taking the time today and joining me for Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. My guests at Out to Lunch today have been Megan Nysmer-Harrington, uh, food sourcing specialist at Second Harvest Food Bank, and Aaron Galemore. He's the co-founder of Super Eats. You can find out more about Megan and Aaron's food exploits by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. The show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Mr. Matthew Ellison. Uh, Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen and at MitchellForeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, WWNO.org and It's New Orleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for It's New Orleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp.